Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And I'm your guest host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, what does struggle love look like in the modern age? Uh, but before we get into the show, first off, Courtney, thank you. No, no, uh, you know, stranger to Dear Culture podcast uh, while Jaren is off doing other country things. But before we get into that, what's on your mind this week? You know, so many things are on my mind this week, but what is on my mind this morning is just sheer disappointment in so many of us who still find the time and the reasoning to come for Beyonce and Jay-Z, no matter what they do, no matter what their intent is, it's never good enough for some people. And I'm just not, I'm not really here for it. This Tiffany campaign, speaking of love, uh, was so beautiful. And I think so shocking to so many people. And now the, the Carters are getting dragged a little bit by some folks who say they shouldn't have ever partnered with Tiffany because of their racist past and the fact that the famous Tiffany diamond may be a blood diamond. What do you think about all of this? Um, I think that these are rich people problems, so it's not my business. Um, (laughs) For me, it's, it, I, I, hell, I, I cannot afford a Tiffany diamond. I may never own a Tiffany diamond. So what do I care? What I do appreciate is the $2 million being uh, donated to HBCUs. We all could use them. Um, you know, as a Spelman College graduate, I actually hope that that money is not going straight to Spelman and Morehouse and Howard, because then we will never hear the end of that one. Because, again, here we go, Black people complaining about something that should be, you know, good and, and, and inspirational. Um, now, I have seen people make certain commentary about you know, blood diamonds and all this other stuff. Now, supposedly this particular yellow diamond that that B was wearing was not a part of the blood diamond, you know, aspect. Um, But I, I don't necessarily disagree that, okay, Possibly, perhaps it could be a a little bit of a disconnect in terms of her brand and, you know, Mother Africa and all this other stuff. However, in that same breath, I always find it con- I always find it very confusing but convenient the things that we choose to have a, a, a strange collective outrage about and because I'm like okay so while we're sitting here talking about like blood diamonds and stuff did you see what Cardi and and Offset had on like Cardi had that that whole blinged out uh, <laughs> like the the what is that the Playboy bunny I'm like are we uh, I'm confused I'm I'm I am confusion because. You know, we are always sitting there talking about like someone's great big diamonds and then I like now y'all care about blood diamonds. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, she came from the aspect of like with the Mother Africa stuff. OK, so what? A lot of your faves do. What are you talking about? There's a disconnect there. And I'm, my thing is, if you're going to be if you're going to have collective outrage, make sure that you keep that same energy all across the board. But that's about it. My thing is like, what is the actual reason for the criticism, though? What are you saying? Are you saying Let's just pretend it is a blood diamond, right? Let's say it was definitely mined by slaves, built on the backs of our people, another example of us being used and abused. Let's just say it is that by fact, which we don't know, but let's say it is. 
What is your suggestion? Because Beyonce is wearing it in a photograph for a campaign, she supports slavery, hates black people, doesn't want to uplift us. I mean, like, what is your actual point here? Furthermore, is this not perhaps, I know it's hard for people to grasp, but not everyone is living life like a checker game. Some people are playing chess. So when you talk about things like, I don't know, reparations, right, about correcting damage, about the root of a, of a diamond that's 140 years old, what better way to get a little bit of retribution than have that company that may be historically racist now have to put their dollars toward uplifting and empowering the community that they supposedly, you know, were abusing? Isn't that kind of like flipping the script in a way that serves our people? Listen, all I know is Miss Tina was over here commenting in, in our Instagram comments, and that's been a runaway train. Okay. I don't want no, look, I don't want no smoke with the beehive. I don't want no smoke with Parkwood. So <laughs> it is what it is. What I'll say is if all of y'all want to keep spending time coming at the Carters, despite all of the things that they do for other more disadvantaged communities, countries, places that you see on camera and that you don't see. That's your business. As for me and my house, we will serve the queen. So let's go ahead and pivot. Uh, we we got to talk about <laughs> men with audacity. <laughs> now, first off, the baby. I, again, we keep talking about cancel culture and whatever else, which typically only comes out of the mouths of people who are being forced to, you know, be accountable for their misdeeds. Um, and then so you had the baby who came out and said, who Again, not canceled. You know, he just couldn't appear at any of the, the the big white shows, but was able to be up on the Summer Jam screen and supposedly apologize. Talking about, I ain't mean to offend nobody. However, managed to say that right before he played Crybaby, which again, let's go ahead and backpedal and, and, and get that right. Sir, that is a feature you are on. That is not your song. You are featured on Meg The Stallion's song, which... Really and truly, you were trying to be petty. Let's keep it. Let's keep it all the way clear and all the way above. The only reason why you were able to have so much popularity is because of that black woman that you was over here trying to gaslight with your little short frame with the bad hair anyway. But cool. Um, you know, I hope he continues to lose all the money, quite frankly. Speaking of his his little short frame with the bad hair, Tory Lanes. Um, you know, had to manage to find himself in a courthouse uh, this past week because, yeah, that little move that you tried to pull at Rolling Loud as a guest of the baby. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, that's that's a violation of a restraining order. Um, and luckily for his little tiny self, you know, the judge was like, look, you do this again. It's a wrap. Um, and I've seen people catch an attitude because they're like, because essentially the judge said anywhere where Megan's supposed to be, you can't be there. Find your exit. Let me tell you something. I, he's so lucky that Megan Pete is actually not Shauna Pinnock because trust me when I say how petty I would be, I would show up to that man's birthday party. So he would have to leave. Okay. Period. So he's very, very, very fortunate. Speaking of other, you know, audacious, idiotic men, Lil Boosie, I really have questions as to why you are so consumed with anything that has to do with homosexuality in any way, shape or form. I think you don't protest too much. Um, 
you know, because ever since you got out of, out of the pokey, you've been real concerned about, you know, who's tooting and booting it. Why you couldn't just stop speaking on things that don't involve you? Do we need to get Iron Mike back in your face? Matter of fact, do we need to get Iron Mike's daughter who actually wanted to fight you, if you recall? But Iron Mike had to hold his child back because she wanted to bust up in the room and give you a two-piece and a biscuit. Finally, Busta Rhymes. What a disappointment you have been this week. There is a viral video going around of Busta Rhymes basically talking about, I mean, regurgitating Republican talking points, but talking about how, why, you know, he doesn't believe in masks and, you know, F a mask because those are goes, goes, goes against your freedom. First off, I find it ironic that she was a black man who has lived and grown up as a black man in these United States are talking anything about freedom. You sound stupid. That's one. Number two, I'm sorry, but Busta, wasn't it just two years ago when you, you know, had this dramatic weight loss? Like you lost a hundred plus pounds. And what was that? You went to the doctor. So the doctor was over here talking about you have polyps in your throat that was restricting your breathing. And you, your black self is sitting here talking about you don't care for masks as it relates to a, a, a viral <laughs> disease that inhibits your, your respiratory system. You got the fastest mouth in the game, bro. You of all people should be mindful of your lungs. I don't understand what the problem is, but at the very least, here's the thing. If y'all don't believe in all this stuff, just shut up about it. Just shut up about it. But you know what? In the words of Fat Joe, you know, COVID, is in the room somewhere. God bless. That's all I got. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> a lot on your mind this week, I think, Shauna. <laughs> <laughs> we all want love, but for some reason, a lot of folks struggle to find a good quality partner to settle down with. There have always been a lot of frustrating challenges in dating in the Black community. From the start, Many are taught that love encompasses tolerating more than you can bear, a.k.a. struggle love. But this generation seems determined to break that mold. This week, we're going to unpack what struggle love can look like in the culture and what it takes to do better. Let's get into it. So, Shauna... Obviously, I've been out of the dating game for a minute. I'm a happily married woman. But I mean, what is it like out there? Y'all still going out on dates? Uh, <laughs> listen, first off, when I was single, uh, it was very much so the ghetto. OK, it's, it's it is it dating in general is ghetto. If you tried to, you know, be safe and do things like you know, here goes COVID. All right, let's try this online dating thing. And then that is even more the ghetto. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's the slums. I'm telling you, um, you know, especially for me, uh, at the height of COVID, I were really at the start of COVID rather. Um, I <laughs> was really like, am I just going to be single forever? Because I can't, I don't want to meet up with anyone. I don't know what you've been up to. I don't know what kind of, you know, what kind of ghetto games have you been playing? Like, <laughs> who all are you around? Um, you know, you can't even get your really shaboing boing on because I'm not trying to catch COVID, give it to my parents, all of this. It's, it was a whole lot. But even before that, I'd say 
dating, at least for me, has always been a challenge, um, mainly because most people annoy me. Uh, and I mean, like to the, like the core of me, like I, I, I don't know how, but I am a, I am technically, I guess, a people person. People tend to kind of gravitate towards me. Either you really like me or you really don't. It's fine either way. Um, but for the most part, a lot of people tend to gravitate towards me, especially, you know, dudes, whatever. And there's always like, I'm a firm believer in red flags and there's always like something about a dude that I'm just like, I can see this being an issue for me in the future. I can like, I can, no, I, we shouldn't talk about this. Matter of fact, we shouldn't talk at all. Um, I ask a lot of questions up front. Um, I want to know, and I'll, I'll ask them seemingly like very, you know, just from a neutral standpoint, knowing I'm not neutral at all. Like I'm going to ask you your thoughts on Bill Cosby. I'm going to ask you your thoughts on R. Kelly, on Tory Lanez. I'm, you know, I'm going to ask you, hey, what do you think about Lil Nas X? I, I want to know what kind of uh, homophobia, you know, transgender phobia, uh, noir. I want to know all of those things before we even get to a going out on a date. I don't even like that. Like, (laughs) I just need to know. Um, And then another one now had been um, before, you know, before the boo. Uh, Another one before that was, yeah, so what are your thoughts on like this COVID stuff and, you know, and vaccines and et cetera, et cetera. I had one man sit there and tell me that um, COVID, you know, does come from 5G towers and how, uh, you know, all I have to do is believe in the most high because that was what was going to keep me safe from COVID. And, you know, don't believe in that vaccine stuff because that's just how they're here to, to control you. So, it's trash, Courtney. That's the long. <laughs> the short answer is it's trash. Um, and I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that, uh, at least for now. You know, like you said, you are you are married, you're happily married. But I know, especially like with my own parents, they often claim they're like, listen, marriage is work. Having to build a life with someone else who you didn't grow up with <laughs> is work. Um so explain to us, what does that work really look like? Like what y'all got going on over there? What you doing? <laughs> I mean, I will say, you know, it's a funny time to talk about this because I was just talking to a girlfriend about the fact that I realized for me, for my marriage, um, we just crossed, I think our eight year anniversary COVID for me, I mean, 2020 was trash, right? Like in so many ways, in almost every way, it was so hard and so brutal. But if I had to like pick a year, not a moment, because then that would be, you know, the birth of our kids, of course, but a year, a time in my marriage that was my favorite, I think it was quarantine. Um, It did not start out that way for sure. But quarantine demanded, I mean, required no choice if you want to survive required a level of teamwork that like couldn't be stimulated in any other way. All of the sudden our two kids who are one year apart are out of school, home all the time. We both have careers. We can't see our family, not even my parents, like zero help whatsoever. Can't hire a nanny, can't do anything because we don't know what's going on with this virus. Like the speed at which we had to figure out how to adapt to that not kill each other, create an environment for our kids that felt safe um, at a time where we felt very unsafe. It it was just crazy, but it was kind of like a trial 
by fire. Um, and I'd say the other thing that it did is made possible that kind of magic time when you are in love and it feels like you're the only two people on earth. It's probably the phase in the relationship when you start thinking about, I could spend the rest of my life with this person and I would live under a bridge with this person or all I need in the world is this person, right? Then you get that person, you go through life and all of the other things come into your relationship. COVID and quarantine eliminated every single external factor to an extent and stripped our relationship back down to it really is just us. Like literally it's you or nothing. Like nobody else is coming in this door. There's nobody else to talk to, look at, deal with. Like this is it for the foreseeable future. And it kind of, I think, reminded, you know, I can't speak for my husband, but reminded me, like, I really, really, really like you. And so many things that stress me out in life and probably make me less than my best self for you are outside things. So suspending those outside things, outside pressures, needing to be places at a certain time, look a certain way, it just really cut us back down to just each other. And I really, I really love that. I really love like where we are coming out the other end of this pandemic. Of course, that doesn't mean there weren't times in the pandemic where I was like, oh my God, my single friends are so lucky. This would be like an extended vacation if I was single and unattached and not responsible for keeping anyone else alive. So what are some of the perks of being healthy and single? Uh, you know what, for me, in all honesty, I mean, I, I keep talking, I keep saying one day we're going to get into this in the show, but you know, I have my brother, but he's, you know, it's like prodigal son return. So I was raised an only child. Um, so I learned very early how to enjoy just being by myself. When I tell you quarantine just brought it right back to that. Like I, I was chilling. Um, (laughs) like, I was like, I know everyone's like, oh, I got cabin fever. And I'm you know, day 88, I'm losing it. I'm like, I I was like, are you? I've been playing video games. Like the last of us part two just came out. I've been having a blast. My job, I'm working from home, which is what I've always wanted to do anyway. Like I roll out the bed and flip on the laptop and that's it. Like I had a great time. Um, And what's funny is it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because so there were definitely parts where I was like, damn, is this just going to be my life for the rest of my life? Like just me and then occasionally going upstairs to my parents' house to play Scrabble with them. Like, is this, is this just what it is? And then I would talk to my friends who have kids, who have spouses, and they're like, if this man so much as breathes in my direction, <laughs> I, like I, I, I might lose it tonight. Like I might just send the kids outside <laughs> just because like, like, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you catch. Just please get out of this house. Um, but, <laughs> but I think it, it, for me, it was a, such a time of quiet where I had to reassess certain things. Um, I took therapy all the more seriously. And funny enough is that time of being alone and taking therapy more seriously and like reassessing things, just re- just being by myself and, and rediscovering that love of 
just little old me um, actually helped to prepare me for embarking on an actual relationship that I'm in now. You know, like, I, I don't think I would have, I probably wouldn't have gotten there, <laughs> honestly, if I had so many distractions. Everything was quiet. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't see my homegirls. You know, I couldn't do hood rat stuff with my friends. You know, it wasn't a hot girl summer. It was, it was girls say, oh, it's in the house summer. You know, like it was just one of those. Um, but I think that that was definitely one of the parts and recognizing when you are single and recognizing that you can still be happy with yourself, I think is of the utmost importance because uh, a partner a relationship is supposed to enhance you, right? You're not, you're not filling any holes. I'm complete already. And I just want to make sure that you and your complete self are able to join me. So that was pretty awesome. So what were like some of the, the personal adjustments that you had to make for the sake of your marriage? Like what parts of, do you think that you've been willing to kind of sacrifice for the success of your relationship? Like, did you have to do the whole Oh, submit to a man thing, you know, like <laughs> what was all that like? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't think that either of us, I don't think me or my husband really came into the relationship with like a set of expe- expectations and parameters for each other. I will say in, in a large part, back to what I said before, you know, outside factors, certainly contributed to, I think the hardest seasons in our marriage. Uh, one of those is having kids, you know, I had my kids back to back. So they're like 13 months apart. Um, which hold on, tell on, hold on before you get into that, explain to the people, <laughs> debunk that myth, Courtney, you got to tell, you got to debunk the myth. You just say the one lot not birth control. <laughs> you your first meeting is not birth control folks. You Okay. Uh, we are very grateful for that beautiful surprise, but do not play yourself. Breastfeeding. I repeat, breastfeeding is not effective birth control. Uh, so yeah, you know, I mean, I've had this career. I went to college. I'm independent. I fall in love. I'm working and I blink and I have two babies that, you know, super need me that I super want to be with a husband that I love and all of these kind of outside influences making me question like, okay, so now I'm in the motherhood stage. Like, what is that supposed to look like? What does it look like to be a wife and a mom at the same time? Like, how do you split yourself in two or three or four? Um, You know, should you want to keep working if you don't financially have to? If you don't, then how does that change the dynamic between you and your husband, who's now responsible for all the money and you're responsible for keeping everybody alive and fed? Like those kinds of issues are certainly ones that we had to navigate and were really influenced by what I thought society would deem acceptable, respect, you know, respectable and right. And what I learned is that you just have to make it up as you go along and find what works for you and your family, like labels be damned what you thought this was going to look like be damned. Like sometimes you just have to like hold hands and shut your eyes and like wade through all of the shit together. And you come out the other side and, you know, hopefully everyone's still breathing. (laughs) 
So uh, we have some questions here from our, our producers who were so awesome. So we're going to take some some turns, okay? Okay. Uh, for, because we have from a married woman's perspective and single woman's perspective, apologize to our audience if you are not, you know, cishet. We, listen, we're trying here, guys, all right? <laughs> but um, so one of the questions was, what do we think is the difference between a sacrifice and a compromise? And does that, does a relationship require that you make sacrifices? I'll let you go first. <laughs> I actually, okay, difference between sacrifice, compromise. Compromise is like, I don't want to do that, but I will because I'm meeting you in the middle or because it's important to you or because it will make life easier and end this, you know, constant fight. Like in my marriage, the compromise is... This man is not ever going to turn off the air conditioner on his own. It's not going to happen. He's 64 degrees, pouring rain outside. If it's on, it's going to stay on unless I turn it off. So my compromise there is that I will turn it off my damn self instead of getting angry every day that you do not turn it off. (laughs) Sacrifice. I think is a very different thing. And of course, coming from the angle of parenthood, like parenthood is sacrifice. Like one word to describe parenting is sacrifice, like going without something, trading something that you really value because it's in the interest of something that you value more. And yes, like sometimes having a family and having a husband is a sacrifice. There are plenty of opportunities through work or through my friends or just just things that would be really fun for me to do and have no consequence for me to do but wouldn't necessarily serve my marriage um and and that's a factor that weighs in on the decision making you know like all all the time um in that way I think that For me to have a successful relationship, you have to be willing to sacrifice uh, for what you really, really want. And that might mean not choosing to go down a career path you would have or choosing to absolutely go down that career path because it works for your family, but it's harder work for you. That's kind of how I see the difference. So... For me, because I I have never been married, so I my sacrifice and compromise, you know, ideology is a little bit anecdotal, um, as well as I get a lot of advice from my parents, you know, watching their 30 plus year marriage and just like how they've managed to navigate certain things. I think that they are incredibly cute now. Uh, I tell everyone like teenage years. Oh God. I was like, please just get a divorce and leave me alone. But then I recognize now at 34, like, you know, I was probably one of the stressors. (laughs) (laughs) Causing causing drama. Like, you know, actually I was probably contributing to a lot of their, their issues. Um, But, you know, now like my dad having like surgery and everything else and my mom just being a ride or die, you know, for that man. It's, it's been something beautiful to watch. Um, so in terms of compromise, I always think back to that, uh, who was it? Eartha, was it Eartha Kitt? Uh, who was, who said compromise? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, why would I compromise? Um, but my mother, you know, gave me some of the best advice, I think, um, which was, it's not even necessarily about compromise. It's just about what 
what is going to give you the peace at the end of the day? Because if your house is not peaceful, what is the point? Um, and so I've had to learn, you know, in my current situation, and, and if this shouldn't work out, I'm at least going to take these lessons somewhere else, um, is like, there are certain things like I, for instance, I've had to learn and thanks to therapy, I've had to learn that in certain circumstances and situations and, and, and arguments, I shut down and I don't want to talk like leave me the hell alone. <laughs> I'm going to be over here. I'm, I'm still processing. Let me figure it out. But my partner isn't that type of person. Like he's like, no, we, we should, we need to talk about it now. Like, and if we feel like we're getting too elevated, then we can, you know, we can, we can bring it down. We can separate, we'll figure it out and then come back when everything is, is all cool and whatever. Um, so what has been my compromise has been, when I'm really pissed off and I'm like, I, I don't even want to say what I want to say to you. I hit the notes app. Like, it's like an iOS press release girl. And I'm like typing out all my feelings. Like, let me tell you, let me tell you the parts in which you got me messed up. And then before I send it, I go back and read it. I delete anything that I'm like, this is probably going to tr- start some extra stuff that doesn't need to be started. And here we go. And I'll send that note off and he'll call me back. Like, are you ready to talk? <laughs> it's like, you know what? Yes. And, and we can go from that. Um, sacrifice. I've never really had to sacrifice for a relationship really. Um, which is, I guess a blessing, but also could possibly be setting me up for failure. Um, <laughs> but I think right now my major sacrifice is, and it doesn't really have anything to do with him, but I'm sacrificing the low key peace of mind that I have of living here in New York being with my parents, seeing them, you know, like every single day as they're aging and all this other stuff. Um, But what's more important to me is what has to be more important to me is my happiness. And I think that's more important to my parents. So, you know, saying, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving New York city in the next three to four months. Um, You know, I'm going to be in the same city as him as the same city as my friends. And, here we are. <laughs> uh, and I think that's just been, um, I, I'm, I'm, I still get a little nervous, but I said, you know what, if this is something that is not just a sacrifice to see where this relationship can go, but to also see where I can, you know, thrive and be happy. It's a risk for sure. Right. Like, away. <laughs> even if it's not a sacrifice, it's a risk. And we take lots of risks for love. I think next question for both of us, could you, be with a man who makes less than you. Would it bother you and why? So obviously, we're talking about money now, and that's a, that's a touchy subject. Yes. <laughs> um, the vast majority of the relationships I've been in, I've, I've made more than the people I was with. Um, I think what would bother me is if they were lackadaisical about their money. And I say this as a person who is like a, <laughs> I, I, I spend, okay. I, I like nice things. I'm also an impulse buyer. If I see it and I want it, and if I can make it work, I'm make it work. Um, but I think ultimately if I were to be married and have a partnership, I don't really care about that stuff. Like how are we being, how are we cultivating this money to, to make sure that this house is popping? You know, like, and when I say this house, I mean like us, our family, our, what we're building. How do we make sure that that is popping and nobody's hurting for anything? I agree with you. I, it just, 
it doesn't really matter um, at the end of the day. And when I was single, I think I dated a mix of people who probably made less than me and people that made more than me. Um, but I think it's also like a generational thing, you know, like I, me and my friends were not raised to, you know, choose our partner based on who could take care of us. That is the very real thing in, you know, here and, and everywhere. That is still a very, uh, a very tangible reality for a lot of people, especially women. So I think that I understand why so many women still do put such a value on that because part of marriage is financial security for them. Um, and if that was the case, I might feel differently, but I never went into any relationship with money on my mind. And I think, um, you know, now that I'm grown and I'm married, I don't think that I would care either way. All right. Last one. Um, so struggle love to me looks, you know, very differently than I'm sure it does to you. Uh, and you know, vice versa. So what does struggle love look like in your eyes, Court? What's truly toxic and unacceptable? I think that what is truly toxic and unacceptable is nothing would be scarier to me than like the moment that we stopped fighting. Because if you get there, somebody's probably given up already. And that that would make me feel so insecure. Not like, you know, not like you have to fight every day, but to me, caring enough to talk things out, to disagree, to share your differing opinions and try to at least come to an understanding, if not an agreement, means that you're both still in it. Um, and so I think that it's really sad to me when I see people that I know, couples that I know who just seem resolved to be unhappy. Like they've accepted that this relationship is not what they wanted and they're not going to fight each other, but they're also like not going to fight for it. And at that point it just looks and feels like a ticking clock going down, down, down until the end of the relationship. So when people stay in it without really being in it, I think that's pretty toxic. Um, I think for me there, I mean, I've, I've seen many, many forms of the toxic love. Uh, infidelity is a huge no for me. Um, I, I, lack of honesty and transparency is a huge no for me. Like there should never be a point in time where somebody can tell me something about you that I didn't know. I don't care for it. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, did you know your man he used to have a gambling problem back in in oh nine? What? Like, <laughs> is, did you get help? Like, what? I, like, I don't want to have those those kinds of conversations. Those should have already come up. Um, I have seen and witnessed friends and family and acquaintances of. I'm sorry if you have an outside baby on me, sir. <laughs> you you. <laughs> I'm gonna try very hard and make sure that your child is you know. Not not just not just raised by a single parent because I didn't killed you. Like we're not playing those games. <laughs> like we're not playing those games at all. Um, I think, and ultimately, like I mean, clearly, like any kind of physical, any kind of abuse, physical, mental, emotional, that is a hell no. Um, it just absolutely not. I'm not, I'm not here for that. <laughs> um, but I think. Ultimately, I, I 
what I don't want to, to see or experience ever is feeling as though you had to go through ridiculous like trials and tribulations prior to in order to like make things work like that. I'm, I'm not interested in that. Like what have, like you said, you know, are you still fighting for it? Are we still having conversations? Are we still discovering things about one another? Um, you know, as time goes on, I mean, hell, look at, at Dell and, and, and Sonia Curry right now, 33 years of marriage and you calling it quits. I'm like, come on, come on now. I'm not doing <laughs> 33 years with nobody and being like, all right, I'm going to take my ball and go home. What? But then now, you know, things are coming out of, oh, well, it was a it was a family secret that he had you know, all these chicks on the side. And well, she's living with a man and all, like. Bruh, what? No. It's <laughs> like, no. The moment where it started to feel like it was getting that place, we should have either, all right, are we hitting the 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 marriage therapist or you know, the, like the marriage counselor? Are we are we just saying, you know what? This has been fun, but you know what? I still got it and I could be out. Like, I still got it and I could be out. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be in my 60s. Now trying to make, you know, make something shake, hop on a Peloton, trying to look like these 30 something year old Instagram thought bots just because <laughs> just because you want to act a fool. No. Um, yeah. So that's enough. <laughs> I think I think that being loved the way that I am and loving someone the way that I am. Or the way that I do, I should say, um, it just makes it just lets me know that there's really not that far to fall, uh, you know, when things go really, really left. Like I have an anchor that I can kind of build the rest of my life and the rest of the elements of my life around because that is the constant, you know, like I have a North star to measure everything else against. Um, And I think that that's something that I never really, had when I was single, it was always like, where am I supposed to be? And it's pretty clear now um, that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And if I know that, then everything else is just a little less scary. Mm, Awesome. Um, I think for me, the most powerful thing (laughs) that love has taught me is I'm not for everybody and that's okay. Um, I am a person who, I mean, y'all listen to this show. You hear my opinions. This is not me putting on. Okay. This is, this is 24 seven every day. Actually, probably a little bit more animated, whole lot more cussing, but you know, producers. Uh, <laughs> and I recognize that I need, I, I, my best friend actually said this um, a few years ago and she was so right. I am a fire. Like I, here I, I am a, a fire shout out to Aries. Uh, and what I need from a partnership is somebody who is not trying to douse that fire, someone who's not scared of it, someone who's not over here like, all right, maybe you need to tone that down. Excuse me? No, no. I need to turn it up, actually. Um, you know, I and I am very fortunate enough to, hopefully he doesn't screw it up, uh, to be with someone right now who is gas on that fire. You know what I mean? And I mean, like, and in, in some of the most amazing ways, um, I am filled with 
a lot of insecurities that I've learned. Uh, and but love has taught me to even love those insecurities because those make me who I am. Um, and, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that I wish for for us all, whether that means hell, if you want to do the, the the monogamy thing, if you want to do some poly stuff, if you want to be by yourself. I want everyone to be able to experience love in its truest form of like self-love and appreciation and, and, and acceptance of oneself. Speaking of love, we have a new relationship to fawn over thanks to the good folks at Macro and Netflix. Their film Really Love is out this week. Our colleague Chris Witherspoon had a great conversation about Black love with the cast of Really Love. Let's take a listen to what the film's co-writer, Felicia Pride, and stars Kofi Sirabo and Yuta Wangloi Singh had to say about it. My name is Chris Witherspoon with TheGrio.com. Hi. Hi. Hi, Hi Chris. How are you? Good. Wow. How Listen, are you? I'm great. I love the movie. I know that it is like a Black classic romance film now. It's going down as that. But it's also, it feels like a baby making movie. Like when you watch it... <laughs> <laughs> it's like get the wine out let's let's go um but i'm so curious you know we don't see this genre explored that often by you know major film studios these these really true black romance films uh why do you think that is it took nearly 10 years to get this film made and across that journey there were so many no's Pe- people were telling uh-huh. me that Black people didn't want to see romantic dramas that, or the flip side was that there was a ton of romantic dramas and I'd be like, with Black people in it? You know, so there's a disconnect. Exactly. There's a disconnect between, I think, what we are craving to see of ourselves and what the system thinks we want to see of ourselves. Um, But as Angel says, hopefully uh, we can continue to push through and then find partners like a macro who understands and gets it um, and is able to be in a position to make it. There's a scene in this movie that I think is like one of the best like romance lines or exchanges that I've ever heard in a, in a romance movie. And it's, it's with you, Stevie, whenever you ask Isaiah, how do you know when a painting is finished? And Isaiah says, how do you know when you're making love to someone? So this movie is called Really Love. So I got to know from both of you, that's that question, because you didn't answer in the movie. How do you know when you're making love to someone? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, man, that's for you. No, I think I was definitely talking to you. I'm pretty sure. It's the both of you. It's the both of you. Uh, Well, we actually, yeah. How do you know when you're making love to someone? I think, you know, when you get to a space where you have no sense of time or place or, you know, surroundings and it just feels like it's just you and that other person. And it's just like you're, it's like you're connecting with, the universe, literally, you know? I think that's when you know that it's really love. Um, yeah, and I think it's very rare. It's very unique to to be able to experience that. I think everyone um, should strive for it because it would make the world a better place. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Brown Estate Winery. I don't know about you, but if gift giving is part of your love language, what gift goes a long way more than a great bottle of wine? Truth be told, 
uh, wine might be my love language. So <laughs> Brown Estate Winery is an excellent choice. The winery is a Black family-owned business that's been in Napa Valley for over 30 years, offering a wide selections of wines from delicious Cabernets to refreshing rosés. It's a great way to show the wine lover in your life that you're hip to the sips. For more information, visit their website at www.brownestate.com. That's B-R-O-W-N-E-S-T-A-T-E.com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Blue Toulousma and co-produced by Taji Senior, Cameron Blackwell, and Abdul Kadus.